Japanese archipelago. 20 years in the future. The Isle of Dogs. Spotter? That boy flew here all alone for one reason only. To find his dog. Dogs are being held on a miserable island. Somebody is up to something. Chief, you fight the robot dog. Wait, what? Sick him! Welcome to Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? I uh, apologize. I wanted to play my big Japanese drums, but my uh, neighbors complained and I can't do it anymore. Uh, Today we are covering Wes Anderson's final movie to this point, because French Dispatch has not come out. Uh, I Love Dogs. With me, as always, is my co-hosted friend, Josh Page. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for that lovely introduction, as always. Uh, Thank you. Yes, I do love dogs. How did you know? I think that this movie is Wes Anderson just trying to make up for how many dogs he has killed throughout the rest of his filmography. PETA was very angry with Wes, uh, so I think this is his love letter to PETA. Um, <laughs> this is really him saying, you know, it's okay. I love dogs. They're, they're, they're quite all right. Let me show you. Snoopy is fine, I promise. Snoopy is fine, but Buster may not be. Is it Buster? Wait. Buckley. Buckley. R.I.P. 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 Buckley and R.I.P. There were more deaths, dog deaths in uh, Royal Tenenbaums that we didn't see because one of Royal's pastimes is bringing his family to dog fights. This is... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Um, So he made this movie because PETA made him beg. Beg like a dog. (laughs) It always comes back to Falcone. Falcone just runs the whole city. So, uh, Josh, tell me, what was the first time you saw this movie? Um, so, um, as we've reminisced, I think both on and off air, uh, there was a, glor- uh, a glorious little thing called Movie Pass. And uh, I was working in the city, and I was in my rabbit hole going to the movies as often as I could for free because it was $10 a month. Although I got a deal where I was paying $6 a month or $6.99. That's why they went bankrupt. So, um, business model, incredible business model. So as you know, um, I had my tabs up in the internets and I had my little tabs up of all the different movies and they just, I had walked and I walk a walker to battery Parker Parker. Uh, anyway, so all, all that aside is I went uh, by myself after I learned how glorious it is to go to the movies by yourself and not have anyone there to bother you. And hey, if you're going to see an animated movie alone, like a creeper, this is the one to do it, right? And not go see, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Incredibles 2? You're in the back of the theater by yourself with all families and children? That is uh, fake news right there. I went at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> I thought news. the stories you were all in the back by yourself. You're getting real comfortable. There are families all around you. And then when uh, Miss uh, Mrs. Fan, not Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Incredible, Elastigirl, you know, came on the screen. You were getting real comfy. And then the parents started moving down further in the seats because they didn't. <laughs> oh my God! You did hear the whole story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard it all. Um, yes, this is the movie to see. Animated. I did see this movie alone. That was the first time I saw this movie. 
I believe I actually saw it in the morning by myself at 42nd Street, the Times Square Theater. And I came into work and talked to you about it, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. The timeline sounds about correct. Yeah. I, uh, that's my whole story. It wasn't very uh, creative. I worked later than Josh, so I had time before work to go see a movie. I took advantage of that time, and yeah, very exciting stuff, I know. So do you want to talk about the uh, production, pre-production, all that fun jazz? Let's dive in. What do you think the budget was for this movie? $32. 30 that's... Off. It's at least thirty-two dollars, but to this movie. It's a good guess. It's a good guess. It's actually twenty-five million dollars. So I was close. Close. I, yeah, sure. Um, but that's like not as much as I thought it would be watching this movie. I would have. Uh, yeah, it's weird. I don't know if it's just because it's animated that. I feel like this man works away. in like perfectly within a $25 million range. Cause Grand Budapest, we said was 25 million too. He, um, he knows how to do a lot with a little, I think we I may have used those exact words last time, but he knows how to take a very small amount of money and be like, Hey, I'm going to give you a giant, uh, picture. Yeah. That's how and, it feels. Uh, the returns for this movie were weaker than his previous two at $64.2 million. And it's, uh, to me at least, it's not a huge shock that, you know, an animated movie about dogs in Japan didn't have a wider appeal, you know? So disrespectful. Uh, the story was by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, Jason Schwartzman, and Kunichi Nomara, who uh, plays the mayor in the movie. <laughs> But only Wes is credited with the screenplay. So, oh, interesting. Which is, in, yeah, right. Uh, the director of photography was Tristan Oliver, who was also the DP on Fantastic Mr. Fox, Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, and Paranorman. That's a good I don't lineup. I think I uh, mentioned last time, but it's just interesting <laughs> that he did both Fantastic Mr. Fox and Chicken Run. Yeah, that's really funny. That's really ironic. Yeah. That's uh, good. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're doing a Chicken Run 2, actually, for uh, Netflix. It's a sequel to everything. Nothing surprises me anymore. I just have not thought about that movie in, like, a while. Like, 10... Uh, I haven't thought about that movie in, like, 10 years, and now all of a sudden people seem to be talking about it. Like, it had this huge reverence and following behind it. I, I never got that. A couple of months ago, I read something about it. Like it popped up somewhere on the internet, and um, they were like, um, "They were like, I, I love this movie because it has a, the line from Mel Gibson as the rooster saying, uh, you know, they're like, she's like, um, where oh there's a where, where there's a will, there's That's a way.' That's how long this movie came out. Like, Mel Gibson was allowed to be in it. I'm yeah, sorry. go on. <laughs> and so the, one of the chickens says, she says, "Where there's a will, there's a way," and he says, "And I will be going that way." And they were saying how they thought it was like a funny line. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And then someone mentioned the Holocaust. And they're like, hey, this is a great uh, representation of the Holocaust. Yeah, Chicken Run is actually like, uh, there's a theory that it's, you know, these chickens are like uh, in concentration camps. It's a great movie. I mean, granted, I haven't seen it so long. but I haven't I seen it long enough to even confirm that conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yes. you know, what could be better for kids than a 
than a good Holocaust movie. Hey, they gotta learn somehow. Well, I guess Toy Story 3 did that, right? There's uh, that theory. That Sunnyside is actually um, like a... Concentration camp? Con- well, it builds to it because they literally are sent to the fires, you know? Yeah, no. That's a great movie. That is a great movie. Um, anyway, back to Isle of Dogs. Yes. It was filmed at Three Mills Studio in East London, which is the exact same place that Fantastic Mr. Fox was done. That's really funny. For this movie, they had 27 animators and 10 assistants, which seems small considering that they had like 50 cameras running at one time. <laughs> this I'll movie say that's took pretty wild. Two years to make. That's dedication. In order to make this movie, they created like a database of like dogs walking and like they filmed them, they recorded their body movements so that they can get it kind of right. And for the humans, Wes Anderson would actually send in labs, uh, live action videos of himself, like doing the, some of the motions he wants his yeah, characters yeah. to do. The actors came in and recorded their lines before the uh, animation was done because they needed to be able to make the mouths move, you know, phonetically. In order to do that, they like put the, I saw it, they, there's like this behind the scenes video where like the face is like, uh, it's literally just the face. It's really creepy. It's kind of like, uh, what's that one with Pinhead? Um, uh, Hellraiser. Yeah, it's kind of like Hellraiser where the face is just like moving. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I've seen that. You're talking for like the animated faces. Yeah, they're trying to like get the mouse right. So they're like using just the face as like a testing area for um, I saw a behind-the-scenes video of Finding Nemo. I don't know if it was in the animation class I took, um, but they show a very loose final, st- like, still of the scene where Nemo's on the ground and Marlin's, you know, um, like, whatever, he's caressing him. And they're, like, there's, you hear the dialogue, and they're both looking at each other, but there's no mouths. So it's, like, it's just funny because it just looks like bobbing heads with eyes, and it was very strange. But I guess they have a template for how the movie's going to pretty much look. And they only change it once they add the mouths. Yeah, but in Pixar animation, they can do that because they can put the mouth in, in not necessarily post, but like that's like the, they could just throw that on top right. of the fish. That's one of the last things they do, yeah. In this movie, it you gotta literally adjust the mouth, take a picture, adjust it again, take a picture. So they have to like mark, you know, they have to record the lines first. Um, so they know exactly what mouthpiece to put in at the right time. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, seven, uh, is it Six Days to Air, uh, the South Park documentary. Yes. They, and, they, and they go through the history of the South Park animators because their mouths move so fast because they want to match them phonetically. So it's funny because if you, there's that one shot, I, I'll never forget in the documentary, but they have the, they're looking over the animation board and they've got all like, ton, they've got like 20 different mouths, mouthpieces that they're basically just like, take as a like and the idea is that it's it's a it's an actual piece i mean they have it in a computer now so they can like throw it all together but they talk about how they have like These literal people in their interwebs oh my god it's really so advanced and they just uh but they match it up for every syllable and every every phonetic sound so it's just amazing these the tiny little detail that goes into projects like this yeah so let's talk about the puppets because there were about eight to nine hundred characters in this movie. It's insane. Which 
I mean, obviously we don't know all their names, but you know, all the people in the theater at Megasaki City, like those are all real puppets. There were literally eight to 900 puppets that had to be made. It's insane. And that's just like, you know, with smaller characters, there were more puppets that were really made because you had to have different types of puppets for the main characters. Yeah. Um, and the and the hair top IMDb trivia fact: uh, the hair of the dogs is all made out of alpaca wool. Yes, and it uh, they said that they may have gone within like the millions of uh, hairs. It <laughs> it's took, insane. Yeah, it took creators uh, to make these puppets two to three months, working six days a week. You know, Tracy, the Greta Gerwig's character has freckles. So it had to be someone's job to literally paint on individual freckles on all of the puppets. Dude, it's so much they work. Said, the artist who did it said uh, Tracy had 297 freckles <laughs> because she had to know exactly how many there were. It's it, really... Uh, it's crazy. It's really... Uh, uh, it's... I can't even go into... It's, I, I can't. I'll say my, my, my words on the craft, but it's really just a lot the production design for like Trash Island versus Megasaki City. They said that uh, Trash Island had to be like, it had to look like the past. You know, everything is like worn down, decrepit, where Megasaki City is all vibrant and bright and like, yeah, yeah. this is like the future. Uh, but Trash Island is also broken down into like, different venues they wanted you to be able to tell where you were based on like the different kind of trash that is around you so like there's the white paper area the rusted car area the bottles the black tv screen area every like little spot on the city, cranny. Yeah, 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 on this island had to be like different enough for you to interpret it differently and of course there was the wheat field again because yeah there has to be a wheat field in every movie well, um, and it's funny, not just the wheat fields, but all the, the influences, just a, another note, is that the movie was, uh, one of the top notes, that the movie was influenced by uh, Kurosawa and the Rankin-Bass stop-motion Christmas specials. Um, so um, it's... Are those the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer um, Christmas specials? They have to be. It's like, yeah, Heat, uh, heat Miser, Snow Miser. Yeah, the... Um, I- Oh yeah, That's the Rudolph crazy. ones, uh, Frosty the Snowman. But yeah, most of the the uh, Rudolph ones. But it's really funny because like, and we'll get to it once we're more into the plot. But like, there are those moments where it breaks the even the style of the movie kind of breaks character where it feels like an like an absurd cartoon, like when they show like the dust clouds and you know what I mean. And it's just like it's yeah, it's very funny how it just stops to be like, hey, it's influenced by like hardcore artsy Japanese uh, filmmakers, but it's also uh, not afraid to just kind of be a cartoon when it needs to be, you know? Yeah. Uh, The camera, they used a 1DX. What's interesting is that it took them a while to get to the Canon 1DX because they used to shoot this stuff on 35 millimeter. Yeah. But they no longer really do that because it's difficult and... uh, it takes a while to produce the actual picture that you're doing. On here, you take the picture, you see whether you got it or not, and you're done. 
I mean, obviously, it's still a hard, arduous process. I whittled it down to, okay, it's easy, but it's not. But because of it's now digital, you have so many more options that are available to you for the type of camera that you can use. So it took them a while to get to that one. Dude, it's insane that they went this route. Like, this is a movie that, in theory, so easily could have been computer animated. Absolutely. And yet they just chose to go this very special route. Like, it's just more of what, and like again, I'll, I'll say what I'm going to say for final thoughts, but it's just what, it just gives it that extra mile, you know? Yeah, and shooting this is, like, really, really hard. I don't want to uh, undermine that point. Uh, they said for Wes Anderson movies, it's, you know, especially hard because Wes Anderson loves his depth of field. Oh, he's so meticulous with it, yeah. When you're shooting a close-up on one of these kinds of movies, you are shooting it on your camera literally six feet apart <laughs> compared to, like, on a set where, like, if you're doing a close-up, you're six feet, uh, yeah, on a typical set, you're, like, six feet apart. In this world, you're, like, six inches apart from your subject. Dude, it's so nuts. the camera has to be able to capture everything so if you want a close-up but you still want the depth of field behind it it's a hard thing to do because <laughs> the camera's uh what's called minimum focus will like freak out at a certain point it's like a balancing act it's um yeah it's impressive there's there's really not and not in this day and age because computer animation has pushed animated films so far into the future um that we don't I mean, you just don't see movies like this. No. Um, not, I mean, we grew up with a lot of movies like this. I, like you were saying, like, like the Wallace and Gromit era. Like, we were even with Chicken Run. Like, we were coming out of that, like, um, the physically produced animated movies with, like, um, you know, shooting on camera and whatnot and building sets. Um, but that's kind of become a thing of the past. So to hear all this is about the, a movie that literally came out two years ago is, um, it's, it's just wild. Yeah. Uh, the last stuff I have are the Oscars, unless you want to add anything. No, no, no. So, nominated for two Oscars, lost both. It was nominated for Best Animated Feature, but it lost to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which... Bastards. I'm sorry, but that's warranted. Yeah, you and your mother. Sorry, that was really disrespectful. Sorry, you and you and everyone else. <laughs> I love that movie. I don't care I... what you say. I was yeah. It will save for another episode. I thought it was fine. I thought I I thought this was better, but I also get why people loved the Spider. I'm also I'm also comic book fatigued right now. I'm just <laughs> I don't know. That was just such a fresh take on a comic book. Uh, it was also nominated for best original score, but it lost to uh, Ludwig. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. The guy from Black Panther, the one who does the music for The Mandalorian as well. Uh-huh. What, yeah, the, he, movie, he, the movie it lost to, though, was Black Panther? Yeah. For a score? Yep. Really? Yes. Huh. You ready to get into the movie? Yeah, we'll give the folks at home a proper spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Forgot and, um, we're doing that shit now. Yeah, we probably... Spoiler alert! If you haven't known by now, we're going to do a deep dive. We open on a temple enshrined in countless cat paraphernalia. A man rings a gong and opens a curtain to reveal a mural of dogs. Jupiter, F. Murray Abrams, 
enters the frame and begins to explain the story the mural tells. Ten centuries ago, before the age of obedience, free dogs roamed at liberty, marking their territory. Seeking to extend its dominion, the cat-loving Kobayashi dynasty declared war and descended in force upon the unwary four-legged beasts. On the eve of total canine annihilation, a child warrior, sympathetic to the plight of the besieged underdog dogs, betrayed his species, beheaded the head of the head of the Kobayashi clan, and pledged his sword with the following battle cry haiku. I turn my back on mankind! Frost on windowpane. He would later be known as the boy samurai of legend, R.I.P. At the end of the bloody dog wars, the vanquished mongrels became powerless house pets. Tamed, mastered, scorned. But they survived and multiplied. The Kobayashis, however, never forgave their conquered foe. Well, two things. At one, I love the fact that F. Murray Abram is now in the Westverse. It's cool. It's great. And because that guy, he's such a good actor. And I feel he like is. he just vanished after he won his Oscar. Um, what did he win for? Uh, Amadeus. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. That's Holy smokes. That movie is great. I know. That was my pick of the week the week we did The Prestige. Oh my, I forgot about that. That's a great, that's a, I'm sorry. I know I'm just, I'm reacting as if I've just like realized Amadeus is a movie. I literally own it. And it, it that movie times. is incredible. That movie um, is so good. And it's so long. It, yeah. The director's cut of that one is literally 304 minutes. It's probably worth every second. It is. I've watched it. At, I think I watched that movie maybe once a year. Honestly. I would invest in the director. I just own the regular DVD. It's very disgraceful. Yeah. Anyway, we uh, back to the movie. <laughs> um, this monologue is also just uh, one of those things. I think we talked about it before. Um, it's one of those moments where, like, the story is told to you beginning to end in the beginning of the movie, and we're literally just going to watch a, an elongated version of this movie. Which you know? one? Which one, what are you talking about? With this? With I Love Dogs? With the, yeah, with the monologue. The monologue yeah, yeah. is literally about a boy who rises up and saves the dogs. And that's literally what we're about to see. Um, it almost, not almost, it pretty much does hark back to just old storytelling. You know what I mean? We like, cause talked it, about this before, I believe in, I don't remember what podcast it was but i remember i mentioned vertigo because vertigo does this exceptionally well too it tells you the whole story in the beginning and then you're just gonna watch it it's know, something that it's it's a it's the kind of storytelling it's just it's very theatrical in a sense it almost reminds me of a play i mean with this literally has curtains but it's <laughs> it's like Shocking. i mean it, it's literally like you have a narrator who's telling who's keeping like they're there with the audience it's almost like we're about to discover a tale of yada yada it's very poetic in a sense and yet like you almost know how it's going to unfold, but it doesn't matter. It's just you're watching an old, like an ancient style story. To, uh, 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 you're, it's almost like you're watching storytelling in an ancient format, like, a, like an old form of storytelling that we just, you don't really see anymore. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, but um, it, is, it is unique. Um, a title card emerges 
Note to viewer, the humans in the story speak only in their native tongue, occasionally translated via bilingual interpreter, foreign exchange student, or electronic device. <laughs> All marks have been rendered in English. That's my favorite line of this whole movie because it's so, it's such a throwaway, and yet it's like... Me too, yeah, that one line is just as funny to me as like, I don't know, one of the jokes that comes later. Um... I will say, and not to go off too much on it, but I do, I do really admire the second time around that you don't. Uh, the lack of subtitles is so unique because you don't need to hear exactly what they're saying. You know exactly what they're feeling or what's happening in the story, and you don't need to hear the exact dialogue. You know. Yeah, I mean, they obviously have the interpreter with uh, Francis McDermott, but... Right, there's moments where it breaks, but... But for the most part, we don't really hear Atari... Like, we don't understand what Atari is saying from, I want to say, 99% of this movie. Right. And like you said, we don't need to, because it's about the relationship between a boy and his dog, and they literally wouldn't understand one another by language. It's, the it's, connection it's brilliant. needs to be uh, more than that. As the text dissipates, three men begin to play the drums as the opening credits roll. <laughs> At the Japanese... <laughs> These are actually great opening titles. At the Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future, Mayor Kenji Kobayashi, Kunichi Nomura, uh, Nomura, sorry, Jesus, a speech to a large crowd. The scene is reminiscent of Citizen Kane as the aspiring... <laughs> as the aspiring despot takes in uh, in front of a large poster of himself. Citizen Kane is a very... It's literally a man, like, in front of a giant poster of himself. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Citizen Kane right there. It's amazing. While we do not hear the speech, we hear the narrator, Courtney B. Vance, explaining what is going on in the country. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. What's more, all the dogs in the country are sick with the dog flu, which is now threatening humanity. Kobe has to quarantine all the dogs to an island. Very COVID-friendly. <laughs> this very COVID-friendly. I'll be honest, COVID ran through my mind when watching the movie this time around a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of uh, quarantine and... People being sick. and People yeah, being yeah. sick and just, yeah. And a vaccine and all that stuff. Very Honestly, West. it kind of changed my opinion about the vaccine because I'm like, I kind of get the mayor's perspective. Not yeah. ne- not that I want to kill dogs, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, maybe the serum that you created needs like a trial run, you know? Like, yeah. let's get it FDA approved before we give it to the dogs. Let's, let's do something, please. But uh, anyway, go on. Professor Watanabe, Akira Ito, the candidate from the Science Party, whose speech is translated by interpreter Nelson, Francis McDormand, believes that dog flu can be cured, ending his speech by saying, whatever happened to man's best friend? As his speech concludes, food is thrown at the professor. Major Domo, Akira Takayama, lurch from the... <laughs> lurch from the Adams family. He literally looks like Lurch. That's hilarious. Uh, comes on the stage with Spots, leaves Schreiber, the first dog that will be sent to Garbage Island. Spots is onto a sky tram and sent away. The tram's hatch, the tram's hatch door opens and Spots in his cage lands on Garbage Island. He is unable to get out, sees rats crawling around, and it begins to rain. Tough day. 
tough stuff for spots. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. You said it. Six months later, every dog has been sent to Garbage Island. All now have dog flu, which causes weight loss, dizziness, narcolepsy, insomnia, and extreme aggressive behavior. Three-quarters display signs of early-onset snout fever, high temperature, low blood, low blood pressure, acute moodiness, and spasmodic nasal expiration. It's amazing. A bag of garbage drops from the sky tram. Here, we meet the pack of dogs. Chief, Brian Cranston, Rex, Edward Norton, Boss, Bill Murray, Duke, Jeff Goldblum, and King, Bob Balaban. Amazing. This kid, this lineup is incredible. They are, they are about to fight another pack of dogs for the garbage bag. Before they do so, Rex suggests that they should open the bag to see if it's worth fighting for. It contains maggot-infested food, but the dogs are desperate enough to fight over it. In a cloud of cotton similar to Looney Tunes fighting, the dogs battle it out. Chief bites off Igor's Roman Coppola ear, and the fight ends. After eating, the pack sees a plane in the distance crashing down to the island. That's the part I was just laughing at. They're all squaring off, and you just see these dogs with just the tiny little mask moving, and then they like rip open the bag, and it just there's the POV of all of them looking over. Yep. It's, uh, uh, I just love the fact that Edward Norton's character, Rex, is like, maybe before we fight, we should just see what's in here. You know, right. that's that's such a rational step that I feel like most people, let alone a dog, would never take it. It's so funny. It makes it so much more ironic. Part one, the little pilot. Atari, Koyu Ramkin, emerges from the plane crash and immediately passes out. The pack of dogs watching from a distance wants to know what they're going to do. Specifically, Boss wants to know if this is a rescue mission or if they're going to eat the boy. Chief says TBD. Rex says they will not eat him. They take a vote. They will not eat him. Atari with a giant metal pipe in his head wakes up to find the pack around him. He first shows the pack a picture of spots, then pulls the metal rod from his head and immediately passes out, which is like, not good for you. He's passed out twice within one day. That, that's not good for your health. Meanwhile, as the mayor watches a sumo wrestling match, Major Domo tells him that Atari has gone missing. The news agencies pick up the story. Back on the island, Atari wakes. Pack standing around the boy with the, uh, with the exception of Chief, who is laying down. Rex then takes Atari to what they presume to be Spot's remains. They, couldn't, they could not get the cage open. This movie's just as brutal to dogs as the rest of Wes Anderson's. It's really, it really is something. Flashback, three years earlier. The news is covering a train crash. The only survivor was Atari. Uh, Atari's uncle has has decided to take the boy in as a ward. Laying in the hospital, Major Domo brings Atari spots. Atari holds out his hand to assert his dominance. One spot licks the hand of Atari he pets him. Major Domo lambasts, saying, bodyguard dog, not pet. A headset is given to both Atari and Spots. They are connected. Back in the present day, Atari easily opens the cage with a key. There are two things. One, that beat was hilarious when Atari literally opens the cage and the rest of the dogs are like, oh. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Uh, and two, 
I just don't understand the logic of this moment. Major Domo and Kobayashi hate dogs. So why are they giving Atari the new ward? He's going to live in the mansion with his uncle, a dog. If they hate dogs, why is this kid getting a dog? Because it's a kid-friendly story where, uh, you know, they, the children need to be able to relate to the boy getting the dog. And, you know, you're not supposed to apply logic. You're not supposed to be a grumpy old man, you know, and ask why. But Back in my day, movies <laughs> about dogs made sense. They got rabies, you shot them. <laughs> Take them up back and... <laughs> oh, so it's a, you know, it's a classic old yeller going on here. Come on now. Classic. classic. Uh, at University of Megasaki, Dog Flu Serum Research Laboratory, Professor Watanabe tests, uh, tests their new blue serum. Dog flu is cured. Snout fever is treatable. And litter reduction is possible by 72%. It's very COVID-friendly numbers. Very COVID-friendly. You know. <laughs> All the scientists celebrate and take a drink from test tubes, which does not seem safe. They're Atari, not social distancing. No, they're literally drinking from test tubes. What was in that test? Unless, like, I don't know. That's just a bad habit to get into, especially if you're a scientist. Atari and the pack, minus chief, bury spots remains, then begin to repair the plane, which sets off a homing beacon. As the pack watches Atari's plane take off, Rex notices that Boss is wearing an extra name tag. The name tag says Sport, not Spots. Rex chases after the plane, saying they found the wrong dog. In the distance, a dog that Chief cannot smell emerges. It is a robotic dog. Back in the city, the scientists share their findings with Kobayashi, who is in a bath for some reason. I, that just seemed weird to me. That's very gross. funny. Like, you're just going to be naked in front of these scientists? That's, that's I guess that's L part of the character. That's some what? That's some, like, LBJ power move shit. <laughs> Literally, uh, I, just a historical thing. Like, LBJ would sometimes, like, hold the door open and, like, take a shit while he's having a meeting. <laughs> because it's, like, a power move. Kobayashi takes the file, burns it, and leaves. On the table, the scientists find a top-secret canine saturation crisis strategy. Kobayashi has been building military-grade robot dogs. I don't know. There's all kinds of Japanese influence. Yeah. I mean, the robots, it's just... I mean, I don't know. I, I remember watching it in the theater and being like, oh, they're really going to go this route. But it was, you know, it works. Because it's, it's both satire and homage. You know what I mean? It's like... Because it's comedy, it's kind of making fun of it, but it's also just homage yeah. to it. But we could, uh, do you want to talk about this now, about the pushback of this movie? In terms of what, the Japanese stuff? Yeah. Um, I don't really know, uh, unless you have it in your, unless it, it adheres to your final thoughts. Um, it doesn't really adhere to my final thoughts. I could just say quickly, though, that uh, yeah, some people do not, care for this movie because they find that it is a white man appropriating the Japanese when, culture. When it first came out, I remember hearing that criticism, yeah. Which I can see to a certain extent, but at the same time, I feel like such reverence was paid and so much detail went in that I I don't know. It's a hard, it's, it's not it's a hard call. I think that, and this is a conversation that we will not have on the air, at least not in this kind of format, but 
it's it's something that I feel like in this day and age, people I think are a little hard on it in the way that people are hard on multiple topics that it's just like, it's, it's a very sensitive time for, for just and proper reasons, but also be, it's that this isn't really making fun. Like I just said, I just said before, like it's, it's almost like satire, but it's not disres to me. It's not disrespectful to Japanese culture. If anything, it's, yeah. Oh, I, you know, cause it's like I said, it's, it's also homage. It's just whatever, but it, I get it. Like it's a, a white American filmmaker with his, most of his white American friends Atari is surrounded by drones, a robot dog, and military men coming by boat. Atari tries to resist shooting his slingshot, but it is no use. Like a dog, he is caught in a giant net. The pack, watching from the side, feel they need to interfere. Rex devises a plan, which, much to Chief's reservations, requires him to take the robot dog on. The dogs quickly free Atari. He just as rapidly takes down the drone and switches the robot dog mode to docile. Kobayashi takes what he saw and twists it, telling the public that the dogs have taken Atari hostage. Uh, I just want to go back. I want to say that this fight felt very much like Moonrise Kingdom. Um, the just, standoff with the robot? Not just the standoff of the robot, but the boats coming in from the shore, very much like Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Then you got the slingshot, you got dogs. It, I don't know, it's just all... He, um, he's been doing this since Bottle Rock. Now I'll, I'll save this for when we talk about like him as a whole, really. But he has a way of like setting up little plot points that very quickly come together, even if it's just for a small moment, where um, where so many of the pieces cross over, you know? Yep. And I feel like that's what he's doing in this moment. Later that night, Atari and the pack reconvene at a hideaway made from glass bottles. Atari stitches up Duke. Chief is battered and blistered, but does not want Atari's help. Atari, taking command, tells all the dogs to sit. They oblige, except for Chief. Rex says that Chief is being a bad dog. Chief <laughs> so disrespectful. So, I, I don't know. This is kind of where I, my feelings on the movie turned a little. Like, I understand that he's a human and they're dogs, but uh -huh. I also do not care for watching anyone in a subservient manner in that way. So, like, I don't know. What do you it mean? Just, I feel like these characters are very strong, and by Atari put telling them to sit, they're put in, like, a different position in this movie. Well, and, that's the whole... That's the whole debate as to the characteristics, because, like, they're so... By our, by our accounts as moviegoers, they're, they're very intelligent characters in ways that dogs wouldn't be because they think and behave like intelligent humans. So to see them all of a sudden just adhere to very simple dog-like nature is, it's almost out of character. Uh, Rex says that Chief is being a bad dog. Chief leaves. He finds water next to a collapsing barge. As he takes a sip from above, Nutmeg Scarlett Johansson warns that the water is filled with toxins. Chief botches his introduction, asking if Nutmeg was Felix's mate, which is what Duke heard. Slowly, Chief recovers and joins Nutmeg atop the barge. There, they overlook the city in the distance and regale about their past. Nutmeg was a show dog. Chief was astray, but as he points out, they all are now. As Nutmeg leaves, she tells Chief to help the little pilot because- Because he's a 12-year-old boy. Dogs love those. 
She leaves after doing part of a trick back in the hideaway. Very sexual. I was going to say, that's a very uh, uh, suggestive moment. It's very interesting, like, watching Wes Anderson make a uh, love story between two dogs, and at the same time, you're kind of like, oh, shit. Interesting. You know exactly what he's doing. Because he's using very, very sexual. Um, Back in the highway, the pack discusses their next move. Duke breaks the news that Atari is Kobayashi's ward. Rex says they have to help Atari as he is the only human to come to the island. He then suggests they go to Jupiter and Oracle. Once again, they vote that Chief is the only one to vote no. Chief even warns this adventure may lead to euthanization. Rough stuff. Rough stuff for these rough, rough mutts. Um, On the TV, Professor Watanabe is shown being put under house arrest. A student protest group is meeting. Tracy Walker, Greta Gerwig, a French student, takes the meeting over. I'll spell it out. I believe Municipal Dome propaganda has deliberately stoked irrational anti-dog fear and suppressed a medically proven dog flu treatment in order to promote a secret campaign to turn the country against its innocent house pets. There. I said it. The students want proof of this conspiracy. I'm not a huge fan of the Tracy character, to be completely honest. She's okay. This was another problem people had with the movie. It's the white woman taking charge over, you know, a white woman taking charge of the city. I don't know. It plays um, to stereotypes. It's kind of like an all or nothing. It's like you can't really win unless you go in one way or the the other. You know, it's because I get it as far as storytelling goes. Like, sure. It works for the script, but it's also like, yes, I can understand why people would be upset that that's the took. I feel like most of her dialogue is just telling the audience exactly what is going on, and I don't necessarily need to be told what's going on. I understand. So I'm an adult. This will come to come in. I'll, I'll put this into play in my final thoughts, but more. But that part of the problem here is that you imagine that it's an animated movie, even though it's PG-13, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But in, inevitably, it's a movie that will at least visually cater to children. So I think what happens is, is he's trying to make this kid-friendly, and there he almost has to take moments where it's like a child needs to be able to comprehend, like, hey, what is happening with the plot? And therefore, it's like there's these little spoon-fed moments because that's all this feels like. It feels like spoon-feeding. It's, it's not distracting, but, but it's also... that's my problem with her character in general. I feel like she is just spoon-feeding you a lot of information. And it's, overall, her character is not even needed. Like, what purpose does she really serve? Well, that's what I was saying. I, 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 I feel it's Obviously, she gets the serum to the theater. She gets, like, that's her big contribution to the movie. But... In reality, you could have had Yoko go to the theater. You didn't need Tracy. I just feel like she's kind of useless on the whole. And sure. I love Greta Gerwig. Like, I love Lady Bird. I loved uh, Little Women. You know, I wish that she had more to do in this movie. I just feel like her character doesn't have a lot to do. Right. And obviously, we can point out that Greta Gerwig is dating uh, Noah Baumbach. Noah Baumbach and Wes Anderson. They're butt buddies. 
they created uh, Life Aquatic together. They're all connected. It's all a giant family tree. Um, like I said, I just I think it's mostly, if anything, it's the spoon feed. Just not just just the plot of how um, uh, to make it comprehensible. Uh, comprehensible for for children, or I guess for younger audiences, or for people who I don't know who just needed spoon fed to them. I feel like that's a lot of American audiences, but I don't know. I guess. Uh, part two: the search for Spot. The search for Spots can commences as they walk. The pack discusses their favorite foods. Duke drops the bomb, saying that doggy chop. The dog food company has gone out of business. That's one of my favorite running gags in this whole movie, though. The fact that Duke heard a rumor. Like, Duke just knows what's going on. Duke it's, knows what's up. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, has gone out of business. When they, when they press for an answer, uh, Chief breaks the news that he was not always astray. He was born astray and was caught by the dog catchers. The third time this happened, a family adopted him. At 6.15 in the morning, uh, one of the family's children pet Chief, and Chief bit him hard. He was locked in a garage with no lights. Later that night, Grandma, the grandmothers of the family, brought him some chili hibachi. This was his favorite food. Later that night, he escaped. Before the story sinks in, Oracle, Tilda Swinton, pops out of the grass. Because again, there's a wheat field. Always a weed field. <laughs> Always a weed field. Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom, the, vil <laughs> the villains meet to, uh, to break down the conspiracy against dogs. This is another scene where I'm kind of like, do I need this? It's literally Kobayashi telling everyone like, who's doing what or who did what and congratulating themselves. They're literally... This is like a pat on the back session that would never ever happen in real in real life. You know, if you're having if you do a conspiracy theory, you don't say out loud this is a conspiracy theory. Well, again, I think that goes to the kid friendly aspect of just showing the villains being villains and just I don't know to show that dynamic to know that there's a threat. I mean, it's just well, of course you don't need it, but it's also to jump back and forth between the other characters, I guess, to give them more screen time. Yeah, they could have done better with the screen time, but. I, mean, I, I guess that's my point with a bunch of stuff in this movie, to be honest. Uh, but we'll get to that in Final Thoughts. Uh, meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom, the villains meet to break down their conspiracy against dogs. Chairman Fujimoto has infected all the dogs with dog flu through fleas. General Yamatachi has overseen the deportation of the dogs. Supervisor Katana-san has developed the robot dogs. Yakuza, it's just funny, his name is literally Yakuza. Yeah. Yakuza Nakamura-san Nakamura has ended all opposition to the pro-dog officials. The evildoers are preparing for their final step, the eradication of all dogs. This is them literally, like, this is a Nazi moment. Yeah. They, they're literally planning their final solution here. This is, like, gross. I mean, uh, I, I think this is what it was always going to boil down to, but... Well, of course. A prison is being built on Garbage Island. At the same time, Atari's crashing plane tape recording has been recovered and is playing on the news. He has left everything to spots. 
On the island, Jupiter pours turpentine brandy. It cools the head and warms the dog bones. Oracle predicts that it will snow. She is not clairvoyant, but can understand the TV, which that's like one of the funniest jokes to me. It's good. That's that was the other joke that had me like rolling. The fact There's that a couple she could just really... understand the TV, and that makes her like an oracle. Right, because I know it's it, what I love about the most about this movie is they take these very intelligent characters, but they're also dogs, and you're reminded that like dog rules apply to most of them. But can understand the TV. Jupiter believes that Spots is alive, but but is a captive of the Aboriginal dogs. Duke heard a rumor that they were that those dogs were cannibals. I love the Duke rumors. <laughs> Uh, in an intricate stop-motion sequence, we see sushi being made, which is like, this was so beautifully done. It's so good. That's why I, want, that's why I said it was so intricate. It was so detailed, them making the sushi. Um, one piece is topped off with poisonous wasabi. The food is delivered to Professor Watanabe. The professor stares at the last, the last piece of sushi, tastes the wasabi on top. His death is shown as his assistant, assistant uh, scientist, Yoko Ono, played by Yoko Ono, <laughs> cries great. and breaks the lab. Here, I have a question for you. So in the movie, he literally licks and like he leaves the piece with the poisonous wasabi for last. It seems like he knew that it was poison. I was just thinking it, the way he looks at it. And the way he licks it. I even have the thumbnail. I have the movie up in the corner, and he stares at it. And yeah. he just he looks at it. He licks it, and he looks. It's so. Why did he eat it? Again, I, again, I think it's just pointing out the obvious for to to a younger or uh, I don't know. Not I want to say simple. It's a very. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is him committing suicide. Uh, see, that's how I like to interpret it, because I, you know, I, I love the dark and the depressing uh, roots that movies go, and I feel like, yes, that makes sense for a character who's knowing going to kill themselves, saying, like, I'm going to take this route, but also, why would that character do that? But that was my question to you. I feel like maybe... What's the motive? Maybe he felt that he was going to be defeated no matter what and decided suicide was better. Like I, I that's See, the only the, thing that I can come up with. In I'm film, not condoning yes. it. I'm no, 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 no. But, it, I, but in film narrative, that, that plot thread has been done before. Like, like where a character doesn't see another way out. So they kill themselves. Like I'm obviously not you, neither of us are. Con- and are Wes Anderson has, uh, with Luke Wilson's character in the Royal Tenenbaums, we see that he's not adverse to the thought of suicide in his Absolutely. movies. Absolutely. So, I actually really like that route. I, like, because you know me, like, but that's my whole thing. It's blurring the lines of adult and ch- and, and child in in this lens. Is very, it's very hard for me to, to not see that blur. Because I'm just like, oh, you're just making it, uh, the plot palpable for younger audiences to understand what's going on but in the vein of what you're saying i i like a lot more because it taps into the darker and more adult themes of what wes has been known for all this time and i don't mean to stereotype i 
don't. But this movie is based off of a lot of Akura Kurosawa movies. Oh yeah, where characters samurais suicide are, and and dying. A, it's an yeah. honorable death and and this absolutely. movie obviously plays with Japanese tropes. So I feel like a stereotype absolutely. that could be played with is the notion of suicide. Well, that's what I said. It's not It's not that the movie's being disrespectful because a moment like that is almost like, it's almost similar to Luke Wilson uh, in the bathroom in Royal Tenenbaums because it's this moment where Wes is channeling his own inner depression where it's kind of like, hey, what if this character just chooses that this is the more viable option? Yeah, so, Francis from uh, Darjeeling. Yeah. So. I don't uh, know, man. I think you may be onto something. I like it. I'm, I'm down with that theory. Anyway. Atari and the pack are on a sky tram, but it splits in two. Atari and Chief go one way, and the rest of the dogs go another. Rex shouts about a rendezvous point, but before the vote can be taken, the dogs go through a building labeled as crushing, compacting, and incinerator. <laughs> Rough stuff. One hour later, Atari and Chief drop from their tram to an abandoned amusement park. Atari notices a slide at the amusement park, and though he does not make the height requirement, he decides to go on it. Chief does not want to wait for him and continues on the agreed-upon path. Atari, after the slide, begins to panic as he is now truly alone. After Atari whistles, Chief returns for him. Quick cut to the incinerator, which is not working. All the dogs are alive, which was funny but it was also kind of a cop like i can't judge like i can't determine how i feel about that one like i'm happy that the characters didn't die but at the same time like he's been known to kill characters and like wes anderson has been known to kill characters willy-nilly before yeah of course it would have been almost more ballsy to just kill them um no, of course, but again, you got to play kids at the kids, you know? Yeah, anyway. Uh, all the dogs are alive. Atari and Chief bond as they, play fle- as they play fetch. Chief is given a bath. Turns out Chief's fur is white, which, wild stuff. <laughs> the dog was really dirty. Yeah, I, I enjoy that twist. In fact, he looks exactly like Spots, minus the black nose. Chief is given half a dog treat, which is his new favorite food. As Atari sleeps, Chief stands watch. Atari's headset blinks. They're close. Tracy at, Tracy at her home recounts everything that has, hap- that has transpired so far. The Kobayashis are a long line of dog haters. The professor is dead, though she even questions why he ate the poison. Like, even she's questioning why he ate the poison in the movie. Mm-hmm. The only new information is that Tracy has a crush on Atari. But again, this is my pro- my point with her character. Like, she literally is recounting beat for beat what has happened. Like, I already know what happened. I'm watching the movie. I feel like Mac made this movie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You to- <laughs> so you got to tell them what's happening because people forget. See, you you, you got to remind them, you know what I mean? Like, they may forget. So, like, you know, you just got to, every, every few beats of the story, you just got to throw it back in there, you know? <laughs> Part three, the rendezvous. Atari and Chief find the rest of the pack who are still on the tram. The pack cannot believe that Chief or played fetch. Chief wants the pack to jump down. But before they can, the tram stops over a river. 
robotic dogs swarm in, followed by drones. A howl is heard from the other side of the river. Flashback, the secret tooth. Back to spots in his cage on Garbage Island. Time has passed, as there are many cages around him. At night, the aboriginal dogs surround Spot's cage and take it to their base. Spot's worried, blurts out that he heard the aboriginals are cannibals. Gondo, Harvey Keitel, the one and only, uh, is, dis is disheartened by this, saying with a tear in his eye, the pack only resorted to cannibalism once they were on the verge of death. The, the aboriginals set Spot's free with their master key. Once free, he meets Peppermint, Kara Hayward. That's, uh, you know who Kara Hayward is, right? Um, that's, that's Susie from uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I love it. He's got the whole crew here. Um, it's the only world in which I want to see Liev Shriver and Kara Hayward in a relationship together. That's, yes. That's, I agree. I concur. Um, back to the present, Spots is running to save Atari. Spots shoots explosive teeth at the robot dogs. The aboriginals join the fray and attack. Once Atari is safe, they all jump into the river. As they float downstream, Spots tells Atari he will always be loyal to him, but circumstances have changed. He is the leader of the aboriginal and his puppies on the way. Chief yells at Spots for uh, reneging his uh, obligations. Spots breaks the tension by telling Chief he is his oldest brother by five minutes. All what the while, twist. yeah, what, what a twist. All the while, Kobayashi watches unfold from the, from the drone cameras. He announced to the city, he announces to the city that Atari is dead. Anti-dog sentiment reaches an all-time high. The, all, the dog hideout is a repurposed factory that used to test on dogs. Many of the dogs still bear the scars of the past. Atari is passing out dog treats. Duke tells his pack that he heard a rumor <laughs> that Kobayashi started the dog flu. Boss asks how he, how he hears all these rumors. Duke replies, I don't know. Dogs talk, I listen. It's a great explanation. A black owl flies in carrying a message from Jupiter. All the dogs are now in the prison and will be exterminated when Kobayashi is reelected. The only hope is if Atari can talk to the humans. A memorial service for Atari is taking place. It is a play of the story from the beginning of the film. Atari and the dogs build a boat and set sail for Megasaki. En route, Peppermint gives birth. Spots, with Atari's permission, passes off his headset and responsibility to Chief. At a bar, Yoko Ono is a distraught. At a bar, Yoko Ono is distraught over a drink. Tracy, like John Wayne, walks into the bar ordering a chocolate milk. <laughs> Tracy passes a binder to Yoko, asking if the story she has is correct. Yoko equivocates until Tracy snaps. I need to prove my conspiracy theory. Yoko confirms it and nods to the bartender. He takes the serum from the fridge and passes it to Tracy. I don't know. That scene is also crazy to me. Like, you, you literally just handed her a binder and you're saying is this correct? Like, give me a minute. I need to read it. Like, I can't just agree to this. Give it's me two great. seconds to read it. It's so funny. And also, like, anyone who needs to shout, I need to prove my conspiracy theory. Like, you're not in a good state. <laughs> <laughs> those are, those are, that's kind of a red flag. Part four, Atari's Lantern. At the theater, Kobayashi is once again giving a speech. 
He says it is time to kill all the dogs. It's a real charmer, this guy. The, stu the student protesters storm the theater. Kobayashi allows them to speak. Tracy exclaims that Atari was a hero and that the serum works. Kobayashi's, Kobayashi retorts that the protesters are a small group and that Tracy will be deported back to Cleveland. Major Tomo brings Kobayashi the red button. Atari walks into the theater and shock and awe ensue. Tracy then injects Chief with the serum, which very quickly cures him. Again, I think that that serum should be FDA approved, one. <laughs> and two, like, how do they know that it cured the dog? Literally, they haven't left the stage. There's no testing process. Just because he looks how, like, that's crazy. Uh, Atari then gives a speech, ending with a haiku. Quote, whatever happened to man's best friend? Falling spring blossom. Atari dedicates the poem to his uncle, who took him in when he was just astray. Kobayashi's eyes, first glowing with rage, fill with, with tears. Kobayashi exclaims, quote, I have no honor. He then, un he then unstamps the Trash Island Decree, which I, I don't know how you just unstamp. It was pretty funny, though. I like to imagine that's how it happens in uh, big, big government, big business. <laughs> big business. Major Domo, enraged six the robot dog on the protesters. Spots jumps into the fight and shoots the robot with an explosive tooth. Both the robot and Spots drop. But this does not end the battle. Major Domo takes the red button and pushes it. The gas meant for the dogs backfires, killing the humans, and the robot dogs turn docile <clears throat> and blowing up the drones. The student protester hacker has done it. Remorseful, Kobayashi gives a kidney to a nephew. Through a legal technicality, Atari is instated as the new mayor, which writes some new laws, please. <laughs> we need it. All the dogs are back with their masters. Kobayashi and his legion of Dune are in prison. The robot dogs now inhabit Garbage Island. On a sky tram, Atari is with Tracy, presumably they are together. Below them, on a different tram car, are Chief and Nutmeg. Chief has now taken on official role, the official role, of Atari's protector. He was given an explosive tooth and all. Cut to a statue of Spots. On the statue is a plaque, quote, dedicated to Spots Kobayashi, former bodyguard to the mayoral household, for distinguished service with gratitude from the people and dogs of Megasaki City. However, Spots is not dead. He has a cybernetic eye, but is with Peppermint and the puppies. The black owl flies over the city. The drums begin to play as the credits begin to roll. The end. We made it, Steve. We did. So, I didn't uh, think we would. Do you want to give your final thoughts? Um, yeah. I, um... Man, how do I put it into words... I this, don't know, but you got to find a way. This feels life will, uh, you know, find a, uh, a way. This feels a little like when we spoke about Interstellar for Nolan. It's kind of just like there's this conversation about how much is going on and yet how much are we really taking away. And what I, I'll, I'll just kind of like just jump into it. It's basically like 
I can't words how admirable this film is just it's just because of the production value and like I keep saying every week and I'll just keep quoting and it'll be the theme of what I'm saying every week is that um he's kind of like outdoing himself production wise like every film is bigger uh and more grandiose than the last and this one even more so than than grand especially this time like just how many locations and characters and set pieces and everything that goes into it um I also think that this movie's problem is in spite of it being like a great movie that caters to both adults and children and being a, a stop motion animated movie, which is really stunning is that it bites off so much more than I think it can chew. Um, it's really, it becomes far too complex with the plot and what it's trying to do and the jumping back and forth with all the characters. Um, and it almost feels like, he's trying to outdo himself in terms of um, coming from like Fantastic Mr. Fox, where it's just Fantastic Mr. Fox feels so simple and that's kind of what works. It stays within the boundaries of exactly what it is. And maybe that's why it works better because it was based off of a book. But this is like, you feel like the movie exceeds, uh, sorry, you feel like the movie exceeds really well when it's focusing on the dogs and the island and all of a sudden it jumps around to all the human characters and it's just, and then there's the robot dogs and there's the, the villains and it's just, I, I can't express enough how impressive it is that they were able to pull off what they do to stop motion. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's kind of an exhaust watch, even as a family friendly kind of movie. Um, and that's really, I mean, I love it. I love this movie. I actually think I liked it better this round because it's like, I already knew what I was getting into, so now I could like pay attention to some more details. But what's problematic about it stands out to me. I don't pick it apart because, like I said, it's easy to write off as like, yeah, it's kid friendly and it appeals to both adults and children. But it's also and it has all the West tropes, which is great, which is exactly what Fantastic Mr. Fox did. But it runs into those problems where it's like, okay, who is this? Who's the, really the audience here? Because I don't really know at the end of the day. Um, it's very complex for children. And yet it's not incredibly in-depth for adults. So it's kind of in this weird middle ground where it's doing incredible things, but I don't really know who it's catering to. I mean, I love it, but it's, I mean, you, you know where I stand. No, what you just said is I honestly don't know how much more I can add on because I wholeheartedly agree with every, almost everything you said. This movie, I admire this movie more than I think I like it. Uh, when it comes to West movies, I feel like this is a, I don't want to say, I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean, I kind of do, but not in, you know, I just feel like this is a huge step down from Grand Budapest Hotel, not in production value by any stretch of the imagination. As Josh said, the puppets or uh, the stop motion creatures, whatever they're called, are impeccable the set design like the it, the detail is so meticulous but the story just feels so lackluster and there's so much i feel like we're focusing on the wrong parts of this because wes anderson got the idea i, I feel like he got too big for his britches in this one he kind of went from Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel, which have two very big ensemble and interwoven uh, plots. But 
in this movie, he, I, I feel like he thought he could do more, like just throw more at you. But like, you've lost the anchor of the characters we're really supposed to care about. You know, I honestly didn't care when, uh, when uh, Atari and Chief really connected. It felt rushed because it happened within minutes. It didn't really feel earned or warranted to me. And to me, that's the story, their relationship. And then immediately it gets overshadowed by, uh, what's his face, uh, Spots, and just how awesome he is compared to Chief. You know, he comes in with explosive teeth. It's not, it's nothing against Chief, but, you know, it, it just feels like Chief is the secondary dog. And even at the end, you're left with a plaque to Spots, not Chief. I'm not a huge... You're just a crusty old man about it. I guess I am. Like, And another thing you said that's spot on is I don't think this movie knows what it's catering to. Is this for children or is this for adults? Because you're trying to placate both audiences, but at the same time, you know, I expressed several times throughout this podcast, I felt like I was being pandered to. And I didn't need to be pandered to. But if it's for kids, I get it. But it's a PG-13 movie. So there's still a lot of adult and complex themes happening that will go right over kids' heads. Yeah. So what are we trying to do and say here? I don't know. My, I guess my feelings on this movie are complicated. It's, it's obviously an admirable movie in the production value. I just don't know this is never going to be my go-to Wes Anderson movie no I mean I I I love it in terms of its visual production style I mean it's really especially with the Japanese culture I mean it's just incredibly different for him um I like that he's trying new things and doing uh breaking new boundaries but it's also you know like we've both said it's just it's just a lot (laughs) we we admire it I you know, he shot for the stars and he didn't make it. That doesn't mean he shouldn't try again. Yeah. You know, I, but, and this is just my opinion. I, I don't know. Oh, maybe yeah. someone out there fucking loves this movie. And I'll tell you that you're a, you know, dipshit loser and that you can, you know, eat a bag of eggs, but yeah, that's exactly. really. So uh, <laughs> tell me, Josh, what's your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is uh, Taika White TT's 2016 uh, hunt for the wilder people oh um a little bit of a different take but i also felt like in terms of the i don't know i mean i know it's news but um and it's not quite on an island uh it's not i mean that the movies are similar it's just kind of um i was reminded of just the adventure uh that's for the comedic adventure that calls to all of us and that's one of that's maybe uh what we do in the shadows is probably a close second. It's probably my favorite of his movies. Um, what, what we do in the shadows actually might be my favorite, but I dig, it doesn't matter. Um, I love everything between the relationship between grumpy old man Sam Neill and then there's the the, the kid. Oh boy, yeah, he was um, in Deadpool too. Forgot the kid's name. Um, he was in Deadpool too. Yeah, know. yeah, Julian Dennison. Anyway. Um, that's a movie I watched on a whim because it was getting pretty good reviews and I didn't know who Taika Waititi was. 
And like within the first like 20 minutes, like it kind of had me laughing. I was like, all right, I can get on board with this. And then the movie kind of just kept uh, like evolving. Like they go, like they leave the farmhouse woods, then they meet new characters. They end up in a cabin and they're getting followed by the police. And then there's like the crazy stuff with the boar and the dog. And it's like, then there's like a big shootout at the end and there's like a standoff with the, I don't know. It just builds and builds and it's very funny and it's very out there and it's very, um, um, I don't know. It felt a little for a moment like um, it felt like it was like a, a New Zealand version of uh, like Edgar Wright. Like it felt like someone who was very, and in a sense you could say that. I mean, he's very self-realized with his work. Um, the way his camera work and his actors and his writing is so sharp. And I, I just, it was a very funny, uh, like I said, zany adventure. That's how it felt. Uh, the call to the woods, you know, kind of like how like Isle of Dogs, like watching it, it was like, the call to the island it was this but still catering to the like the old old school style adventure that's how i felt with uh wilder people um i i don't know when how i landed on it but that's just that true so it's a good choice uh, i highly recommend it good choice good choice yes, and please let us know uh, let the people know good people know uh, yours my pick of the week is kubo and the two strings oh that's a much better not better but that's way more fitting with this week's <laughs> it's uh stop motion honestly it's i'm not saying i'm not comparing this in isle of dogs i'm just saying that the stop motion in kubo is like, breathtaking breathtaking it's uh, awe-inspiring i'm just in like it's incredible what they do and uh it's just funny that ray fines didn't do this uh, isle of dogs but he did kubo and the two strings so Wes who Anderson was he lost him. he was the grandfather Okay. Yeah. Um, my old yeah no sorry I'm gonna let you keep going. My my oldest brother had rented that movie on a on a like on a whim. He had like heard good things about to show to my nieces and nephews, and we went to his my sister in law's house to uh, her, her parents' house to watch it, and I didn't have any expectations going in, and we all sat around together, and within like a half hour, I was completely sold, and I was like completely wowed by that movie. Yeah, that movie is crazy. It's creepy it's heart-wrenching it's beautifully done i don't know i just love that movie and uh that's my pick of the week it kind of fits within the mold of this it's got a very emotional impact too at the end when it all Uh, ties together yeah really tied the room together really ties the room together like an old rug but uh yeah uh, rough good stuff pick. too. Good rough good stuff. Pick. It's very heart wrenching. The best animated movies are, you know. It's gotta be gotta pull your heart out a little bit. Yeah. I just I, no spoilers. I won't say anything. Because no, no, we no, didn't please. cover that movie. No, we uh, should, but another time. Another time. All right. So this has been the last uh film coverage of Wes Anderson's movies for now. I'm sure we'll get to very French Dispatch stuff. eventually. We have to. We have to. Uh we'll next week or i guess on friday whenever the episode next drops. time yeah yeah yeah. next time next, next time th- next time on whose filmography is it anyway <laughs> we rank the wes anderson movies <laughs> oh that'd be great if we get a narrator um yes oh, i'm, I'm looking yes i'm looking very forward to uh ranking I me too be- i have a lot of uh final thoughts on this whole thing i have some final thoughts that will be said <laughs> All right, everyone. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Philmart. All right. So this is a good note to go out on. 
I'm okay with it. Are you okay with it? I think this is a good note to go out on. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> we'll be with you.